the rise of API hate during COVID and the negativity and the stereotyping and the violence has just taken a new level, which is unfortunate, but it almost is. We're taking a step backwards. We need allies and communities, not just within the API community. We need the API community to speak out and to defend ourselves, to push for more protection, more laws that enforce the hate crime laws of our country. But we also need uh, allies and other communities to stand with us, to voice out the concern, to have better understanding between communities about who we are as uh, APIs in our community. And I think more needs to be done in that regard. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today, we're glad to be joined by Travis Kyoto of East West uh, Bank, head of global relations. Travis, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jared. Thank you. A pleasure to have a uh, pleasure. To, uh, I'm really honored to have you uh, invite me to your show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for taking the time. I guess for, for our listeners who, who don't know uh, who you are, can you kind of give us a little background about, about yourself and how you got into politics? Yeah, I've, uh, my family's been in politics for a long time. Um, I can remember uh, my uh, parents uh, being involved in the San Francisco political scene and as a young kid going to fundraisers and being at uh, famous people's houses and just kind of being around it all my life. And after I graduated from college at UCLA, I decided to uh, jump into it and follow those footsteps and uh, start working for uh, politicians in Los Angeles and then went to DC and came back and just been a part of politics all of my professional life. Yeah. And, and I recall kind of talking with you, you kind of really, I guess, cut your teeth and I guess at least California politics was working for Mayor, Mayor Willie Brown. Is that right? In San Francisco? Yeah. So um, I actually started working in Los Angeles for uh, the mayor of Los Angeles for a couple of years, straight out of college. Uh, my mentor was uh, and boss was JD Nielsen, who was Senator Cranston's chief of staff and became deputy mayor of Los Angeles. And she hired me. And from there, I went to D.C. and worked at the U.S. Justice Department and helped the president with his uh, President Clinton with his uh, community policing program and his drug courts program and travel the country, meeting uh, great mayors and police chiefs across the country to help implement public safety programs. And after three years of D.C. and um, and trying my uh, cut my teeth there, uh, Mayor Brown got elected in San Francisco. Uh, and I decided to go home and work for uh, the legend and uh, kind of really understand uh, San Francisco politics better and really um, help him implement his vision to changing and uplifting my hometown community. Yeah, that's something, you know, I guess, you know, those are, are some big personalities you work for uh, going from from Bill Clinton to, to Mayor Brown. Kind of, you know, can you share with us, I guess, some of like some memorable times working with Mayor Brown? I, I know there's probably a lot, but, uh, you know, the guy's always full of good stories. I bet he passed on a lot of good wisdom to you daily. Yeah, Mayor Brown obviously was a legend or is a legend and just really is uh, the, the I think, a role model in um uh, of understanding the dynamics of the environment around you. And what, what I learned from him is uh, to understand everything going into decisions and remembering everything. Um, the mayor was obviously super smart and uh, always remembered every detail, no matter what. And he didn't need notes. 
Um, he understand the, the decision at, at hand. He understand the facts and he would ask a lot of questions, uh, deliberate and make a decision. And I, I learned from him on, um, on the need to understand everything going into a decision, asking a lot of questions, remembering everybody's name, remembering every fact, uh, and then make bold decisions and sticking by them. And uh, I appreciate that about him. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of a staff who listen to this show. Kind of, can you kind of talk about how you made the leap from, you know, working for Mayor Brown to kind of going and working kind of in the corporate field and kind of doing a little more government relations stuff? Yeah. Um, thanks for that question. After I left Mayor Brown's office, or as I was thinking about leaving Mayor Brown's office after three years, uh, I decided that it was time to make a shift and wanted to try my hand at uh, corporate government relations. And so out of, uh, out of San Francisco City Hall, I went to a company called RCN, which was the telecom company uh, in the San Mateo County area and starting to get into the Bay Area market. And they were looking for an executive to help them implement their government relations and their community relations efforts. And so I went over there as a one-person team, essentially, uh, starting to broker franchises and start to work with local government officials across uh, the nine Bay Area counties that really helped them uh, build their infrastructure uh, I, uh, I uh, cut my teeth on learning the dynamics on regulatory efforts uh, overseeing telecommunications, uh, the, the franchise issues in, in cities, and learning the dynamics of working closely with local officials to do all of those things. So that's where I started. And from there, I had the opportunity to uh, move over to PG&E, uh, where I was uh, part of the government relations team and then led the government relations team. Uh, uh, after 17 years toward the end, uh, led the entire organization on the local and community relations side. Uh, and then after that, uh, ended up here at East West Bank. So it's been uh, a two-decade time almost uh, in uh, corporate, or yeah, two-decade time now in corporate government relations. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, you know, some of these like corporate heads, you're in charge of a state or a region. You're in charge of the entire globe here <laughs> with East West Bank. Can you kind of talk about kind of the, the scope and, and kind of what the things you're looking at and working on? I wouldn't say the entire globe, but it's certainly global intentions and global dynamics. Um, East West Bank is a $63 billion asset bank. We are based here in Los Angeles, and we are a United States bank founded uh, initially in the heart of Los Angeles is Chinatown, when other banks wouldn't give Asian Americans bank accounts. And so we are truly a minority bank. Uh, that's what we are founded. And since that time, starting as a tiny community savings alone, uh, under this leadership, under the CEO, we've grown to become uh, the largest independent bank in Southern California, within the top 30 in the country, and now a $63 billion publicly traded minority bank. And so I'm proud to work for this bank. And we have um, presence in a lot of other countries. Our niche is in Asia, as well as the United States. Mm -hmm. We have um, branches in seven states and operations in seven states uh, of the U.S. And then have presence in Asia. And we are essentially that bridge between uh, economies between the East and the West. Uh, and this past year uh, and going into this year, uh, my CEO, Dominic Gang, was appointed by President Biden to lead the Business Advisory Council for the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, um, which is the wow. global economies of the apex region uh, that meet with other heads of states like the United States, the President of the White House, as well as France and Mexico and Canada. And they convene every year. 
and this year they're convening right here in California, San Francisco. So through that effort, certainly my efforts supporting East West Bank has turned global and in the economies of the country that really are the largest GDPs in the world. Uh, and so that has really opened my eyes to the larger nature of how our larger globe works when it comes to economies and relationships right. and dynamics. Yeah, and definitely interesting times uh, kind of dealing with all that, with all the, uh, you know, kind of struggles everyone's coming out of COVID-19 and kind of all the banking issues. Kind of what, you know, at these conferences, kind of what what are the people talking about and kind of what's on front of mind of, of these kind of leaders when you're discussing things? Yeah, this, this year's focus that you know, since the United States is hosting and President Biden and the White House is uh, are hosting this year's uh, summit in November. Uh, where these nine, where these, um, where these national global economies convene, their heads of states convene. Um, the focus is going to be around um, sustainability and inclusion, uh, and really how the economies around the apex region can work together on sustainability. And so, while this year the teams are all working, the countries are all working together to find common solutions, common ideas, common practices. And those will be developed over this next year. It's really around how it's a very small world when it comes to the environment. Right. And then on the inclusion part, it's about how uh, those that may have been left out um, in, in solutions of the economy, in the global economy, how to include them, whether they be women or underserved communities or minorities or in, indigenous populations, how do we bring them into uh, the thriving economies of, of the world and how do we ensure that uh, the economies work together, whether it be on solutions, on sustainability or others, how do all those populations are taking that uh, as we move forward? Right. You know, previously you talked about how, you know, you were, um, you know, working for PG&E and, you know, I bet you could write a, a master class on government <laughs> relations from your time with PG&E. Can you kind of <laughs> talk to us about your, your time uh, with PG&E and kind of some of the things you learned while working there? Uh, well, I will say uh, at PG&E, I learned, um, I learned professional public affairs, professional government relations. It was where I was trained in corporate government relations, and uh, I'll always remember that uh, and, and the experiences I had there. Um, I won't go into details of all the work that I did there, but I will say that I worked with a lot of good people, uh, good people that uh, are were trying to do the right thing uh, in the government relations team and the community relations team that are committed to the community, uh, that really understand politics, that really understand local communities, and that we're striving to transform the company into a clean energy company uh, and to really migrate from um, uh, you know, the, the, the transition of a clean energy future. Uh, on the community relations side, I would say that companies like PG&E invest heavily into the community. And I was, uh, I was uh, humbled and honored to be part of that effort to really be part of the fabric of communities to transform the nature of how a utility can be part of diverse communities, whether they be the API community or the African-American, Latino, LGBT community. Under my tenure, that's what we did. That's what was my intention is to really be part of the fabric of our state, as well as to ensure that we had a very diverse, robust, smart public affairs team that once I was trained in it, that I could help train other diverse leaders in our public affairs space to really become a truly professional public affairs organization within a corporation like PG. Mm -hmm. You know, with, with your kind of role at East West Bank, you kind of have a, a cool dual function, right? You know, you can work on public policy and government relations strategy, but you're also working on, on the East West Foundation. Can you talk, kind of talk about how these, you know, kind of two roles work together? You know, often companies separate these, but, you know, this is something you get to 
get a dude together. That's true. Most, most companies do separate them. And I'm fortunate that my CEOs decided to have me lead both. In fact, I lead the government relations, the charitable contributions, and, and the brand marketing. And those three entities, I think, all come together come together to help tell our story about who we are as the nation's largest minority bank and a strong financial performing bank in Cal- based in California and operating in, in the global economy. I think with my role, I'm able to understand where policymakers are at, uh, understand the priorities of our communities, and through our charitable contributions, align our values, our values about uplifting underserved communities about educating communities through arts and education, uh, through investing in economic development or small businesses. That, that's where we align our community vision through our charitable contributions effort, where I'm the president of the East West Bank Foundation, matched with our efforts around our public affairs efforts to engage in our elected officials' priorities and to understand where our country, where our, where our cities, where our communities are going. And then to overlay that, with telling our story through our brand marketing efforts. So all those come together, I think make a lot of sense. And I'm glad my CEO has given me the opportunity to lead that larger strategy. No, no, definitely does. And, you know, probably going to create a, a new model for other corporations to follow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've had Bill Wong on before and, you know, a couple weeks ago or years ago, the last two years have been, you know, the rise of Asian hate crimes. Um, a lot of API hate crimes, a lot of things you're seeing in the media um, with regards to API hate. Kind of what are the things you, you see as a challenge um, out there for the communities you serve and kind of what's East West Bank doing to kind of help address some of these issues? Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, unfortunately, API hate has just obviously become much more uh, prevalent uh, and much more uh, in your face. Um, but I don't think it's ever really truly gone away. We've seen that from the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, we've seen that in our country's history with Japanese intern- Japanese American internments, which my own um, grandparents were interned. Uh, and we see, you know, from Vincent Chin to all the other things that have gone on in this country. And then with um, the rise of API hate during COVID and the negativity and the stereotyping and the violence, it's just taken a new level, which is unfortunate, but it almost is we're taking a step backwards. Uh, and I think we need more. We need allies and communities, not just within the API community. We need the API community to speak out and to defend ourselves, to push for um, more protection, more laws that enforce the hate crime laws of our country, um, as this president has done. But we also need uh, allies and other communities to stand with us. Um, to voice out the concern, to have better understanding between communities about who we are as uh, APIs in our community. And I think more needs to be done in that regard. I also think we need to strengthen our community nonprofits and our institutions to take care of our community as other communities do. And with that, East West Bank Foundation last November during Asian American Heritage Month uh, committed upwards of $6 million dollars uh, to initiatives and uh, community efforts to support the API Asian Pacific American community. Uh, and that's our focus as an Asian American organization. And we'll continue to do that, invest in our communities, to strengthen our community, to, to push for um, efforts to stop discrimination and hate within our communities across communities. And we're going to do a lot more of that. 
You know, it, can you kind of talk about, you know, when you first came into politics and what the, the late 90s, early 2000s versus today, kind of the the rise of, I guess, the API legislator, the API constitutional officer. Can you kind of talk about how that's changed over the last 20 or so years and kind of where you see that's going in the next 10 to 20 years? Thanks for that question. Um, I'm very uh, proud of the, the, the leadership and, and the efforts around the APIs who want to be in politics, especially in this state. Um, I, I, as you said, when I first started in politics, uh, as you know, there wasn't very many of us in, in this space. And now to see more and more taking office, being involved at the highest levels of the state constitutional officers to you know, new members uh, within the legislature, it's just, it's just fantastic, a growing number. I'm also delighted to see the number of Asian American women uh, becoming elected officials in this state, especially now with the California legislature. I think it's important to have that kind of diversity, and I'm proud to see uh, that our community is maturing, becoming more involved within not only the halls of government, but also in, in roles like mine. Uh, we need that to be part of the solution of diversification in uh, politics, and I think that we're starting to do much more of that. So it's great to see uh, friends of mine become such um, uh, influential policymakers in the state that, that happen to be Asian American. I think that's just great, and certainly they become more role models for uh, people like my kids, like our future generation. Right. You know, Travis, you might be one of the best networkers I've, I've ever met. And kind of when you're talking about, you know, the things, the lessons you learned from Governor, uh, I mean, uh, Mayor Brown about, uh, you know, remembering people's names, remembering details, you know, you are excellent on that. And kind of I heard that, you know, when you're working with your staff or people you hire, you kind of have a certain list of things that you're saying, you know, this is what I want you guys to do. Can you kind of talk about that? And when kind of when you're looking for staff or people to work for you, kind of things you want to pass on to them and things that you want them to achieve, you know, working for you? Well, I appreciate that. I don't know if I'm the best networker out there, but I've had a lot of good mentors and role models. Um, but I firmly believe that relationships is the bread and butter of our, of our business. And so um, how you relate to people, how you build a common bond, how you remember things about people, it's important to establish relationships and keep those relationships. And again, that's just the nature of our business. Uh, and I've learned a lot about that through, through my journey in, 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 in the space. Uh, what I look for in people, first, I want smart people. If I'm who I want to hire, people that get it, uh, and people that understand the nature of the business of relationships, people that are good on their feet, uh, and people that are strategic, um, and then also, as you know, as I said earlier, uh, people that represent our great diversity, because diversity of background, diversity of race, diversity of way of life, and diversity of school of thought, I think that makes a healthy organization. Um, as Mayor Brown told me is I think it's important that you get people that stay aligned uh, to the value of your organization or the person that you work for. So I, I value uh, the alignment um, and having the vision that all members of the team agree upon to implement that vision. That's truly been important. I also think it's important to have good relationships with people that, that work with us, work for me, work with me, or work above me. And I think it's important to foster those kinds of healthy relationships. And now as I, you know, uh, been in the space for a long time, Jared, I, I think it's really important that I, I take the opportunity to mentor others, to pay it forward. 
to, 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 I've had so many great mentors in my life. Uh, many of them Asian American, many of them Asian American women who've been great role models for me. Uh, and I'd like to pay that forward to ensure that I'm passing on all the values that I've learned in my career in, in the space. No, definitely good advice. Uh, hopefully, you know, people hear that and, and take advantage of it because, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, something to do and something that you've, you know, lived by and you can see it just kind of in your work. Um, well, Travis, I know, I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff to do, but thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. And uh, you're going to look forward to seeing what you have in store for uh, November for that uh, that summit in San Francisco. It sounds like it's going to be a, a great uh, you know opportunity for uh, the, the state and the city to kind of show the world leaders kind of you know what we're up to. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, Apex is going to be a phenomenal uh, summit uh, with everybody convening in San Francisco. So we're honored and I'm delighted that the White House picked my hometown to host it. And I think it's an opportunity for California and San Francisco to shine in front of uh, the apex heads of state. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, and I appreciate you having me on your show. Awesome. Thanks, Travis. We'll talk okay, to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.